1: Nikki Crutchley is about to publish her third crime mystery novel. Set in small town New Zealand, these are thrillers with beautiful settings and sadly an ugly social underbelly found anywhere. But that's what crime's all about, isn't it? Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today Nikki talks about her latest book, The Murder Club, and the encouragement she draws from other women writers in the mystery field. You'll find links to Nikki's books and website on the show notes for this episode on the joysofbingereading.com website. But now, here's Nikki. Hello there, Nikki, and welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you with us. Tell me, beginning at the beginning, was there a a once-upon-a-time moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction?
2: And if so, what was the catalyst for it? I think I always wanted to write. I think if you asked a seven-year-old Nikki, she would have said I would want to be a writer when I grow up. So I think between the ages of about seven and 14, that's all, all I ever wanted to do. But as life got in the way, I went to university and went on my OE and got married and had kids. And there was always that thought of wanting to write a book one day, but I never really did anything about it. So the dream was always there, and I don't know if it was a lack of confidence or a timing issue, but I do remember when my girls were two and four, I started writing fairy tales for them. And I loved getting back into writing, and I um, printed off a few of the stories and sent them to families and friends, and, and and they all loved them. But it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing, and I really wanted to be writing crime but I also at that time got into writing flash fiction which is uh, short short stories kind of around 300 words or less and I had a little bit of success with that. I got published in a few New Zealand anthologies so I think the time was right around there and, and confidence was a, was a big issue I think. Yes maybe there's
1: an issue of having somebody in your world who looks like a reasonable role model too. I mean, a lot of the writers were male, I suppose, as
2: well. Definitely. And I think around that time, just as I was kind of getting ready to dive in, I remember reading Van de Simon's book Overkill as a New Zealand crime writer. And I think, just thinking back on it now, that was a small town setting crime thriller and it was almost me realising, oh, you know, maybe I can do that. Yeah,
1: Yeah. So you're about to publish your third crime mystery now, one called The Murder Club. Now, we were just laughing before we went on air because you (laughs) live in one of the most beautiful rural towns in New Zealand, the town of Cambridge, which combines the New Zealand rural beauty with a sort of a few English buildings that give it a little bit of a sort of sense of history. And your books are all beautiful settings and a rather ugly social
2: underbelly. What attracted you to crime? So I guess with the crime genre, I quite like how you can explore people in society, which can be quite serious subjects, but still have a little bit of fun with the it aspect. I've been reading the crime genre since my mid-teens. So when it came to writing a book, I kind of felt like the genre picked me. But I've always had a fascination with not so much the act of the crime, the violent crime, but that's something that always has to be explored, really in crime fiction, but um, also why someone chooses to do something or um, if they're pushed to the point of committing a violent crime, why, why they did it. But you're right, all three of my novels are, are set in small town New Zealand. I've always lived in, in small towns. I grew up in uh, a town called um uh, which when I was a teenager had a population of about 3,000. But I quite like the idea of small towns uh, and the dynamic they give a crime novel. So there's that idea that, everyone knows everyone, uh, but do they kind of thing. And I quite like the idea of there's always gossip and rumour in small towns, you can't avoid it. And and that's something uh, that I explored in my first book, Nothing Bad Happens Here. But I just do like that idea of beautiful settings um, and something bad happening. I think it's a really good contrast.
1: Yeah. you As we've mentioned, you live in New Zealand yourself, but why did you choose to go local with your settings? And do you see the New Zealand location as being an advantage or a disadvantage to getting more international
2: uh, readership? Mm, So when I had my first thoughts of Nothing Bad Happens Here, my first novel, the setting really came to me first, even before characters. And the setting was the Coromandel Coast of New Zealand, which is a, a, a stunning region for people that don't know it. Beautiful beaches and lots of small beachy towns, and it's on the east coast of New Zealand's North Island I used to have my summer holidays as a child in a place called Whangamata, um, and a few minutes out of Whangamata is a big expanse of of forest called Wentworth Valley. And so those two places where I chose to sit, nothing bad happens here, but they became Coldridge Valley and Castle Bay. I think with the New Zealand setting, it it is a double-edged sword. I mean, I chose it because it's familiar to me, and it's always easier to write write something that's that's familiar to you. But yeah, it is a double-edged sword, I think. There's people who love reading about a country they've never been to before um, or maybe don't know too much about. But there's also people that prefer to stick to the books in, in the bigger countries, in bigger countries like the UK or US. But the same goes for New Zealand readers as well, I think. I know there are a lot of Kiwi readers who love um, books set in their own country, but I think there's just as many that don't give New Zealand books a chance.
1: Yeah. So the Murder Club's just been released and there's a theme that runs through all of your books so far and that's the awareness of organised exploitation and abuse of women. Every one of them has got this thread of women who are abducted or or just treated very badly. Is there anything that particularly draws you to that darkness?
2: When I think back, I don't don't really do that on purpose but I, I find I write To what's going on in society today so what I see in in the newspapers or what's being discussed on social media and unfortunately when it comes to violent crime a lot of that is being carried out by men towards women I I just like putting myself um, in the place of the protagonist um, and dealing with how she's going to react to something that's happened to her but I also think that darkness is, is quite interesting to be honest I think like most of us, we live a pretty straight and narrow kind of life. So I find it fascinating being able to veer off the straight and narrow uh, and, and delve into the darker side of people, both male and female. I watched a Netflix documentary called Dark Tourist at the beginning of last year when I was just starting the Murder Club. And it's about a journalist, David Farrier, who, who goes around the world visiting dark tourist spots. And the one that kind of caught my eye was he went to Milwaukee and he went on a Jeffrey Dahmer tour. So it was Hay tour, and you get taken around to... Jeffrey Dahmer was a, a serial killer, for those who aren't familiar with him. But they would visit outside his apartment and various places where he killed people or abducted people. And it's terribly disturbing, but there's a lot of people that find that really interesting. And I actually end up having a scene in the murder club where Miller goes around with a slightly dubious character, Logan, and he's taking people on on true crime tours. And Miller in, actually ends up asking someone, you know, wh- why does that interest you? And I, I, I give that, that same answer, just that veering off the, the straight and narrow and getting into the mind or trying to understand why someone would commit a, a violent crime. Yeah.
1: Now, as we've mentioned, you've now got three books to your credit. Each one set in a different fictional town, and they can certainly be read as standalones. In mm. fact, you get the impression that probably you started out as setting each one up with a very separate setting and set of characters. But then in book three, you brought back the key people who were in book one, Miller and Kahu, who I loved, mm. Miller the journalist, and Kahu, the police officer. They're now in a different town, but they're back together. Mm. So you've kind of straddled that thing between doing a series and doing standalones. Can you tell us a bit about how that came about?
2: Yeah, so my second book, No One Can Hear You, is an absolute standalone, different town, different characters. But I wrote Nothing Bad Happens Here with absolutely no intention of making it a series. But when I think about it, a journalist and a cop relationship is is a great, great recipe for for a series. But so going in, it was a standalone. But once people started reading Nothing Bad Happens Here, um, I had a lot of people emailing me and speaking to me and asking what was going to happen with Miller. And I think it was mostly on a on a personal level, as in they really liked her as a character. I mean, she's an alcoholic and, and we leave her not in the happiest of circumstances in the, in the first novel, but she's also going for a promotion. And I quite like the idea that people related to her enough and and cared enough to what was going to happen to her and to be honest if it was going to be a struggle thinking up new ideas and plots for another Miller and Kahu book I, I wouldn't have bothered but as soon as people started talking about it I was the ideas came to me very easily and actually when I first started writing The Murder Club I wanted to introduce a serial killer or to be technically correct, a a spree killer, someone who kills a number of people in a a short amount of time. So I thought that would work better in a city. So I started writing it with the book set in Hamilton, which is a a city quite close to where I live and where I went to university. So I could very easily write about it. And Kahu actually wasn't going to be in it. But at the time of writing, an English publisher was actually looking at Nothing Bad Happens Here and was also interested in, in some kind of sequel. So my agent sent him a, a synopsis for what was going to become the Murder Club. And he quite liked the premise, but he wanted the same kind of small town setting as nothing bad happens here. And my agent also suggested I bring back Kahu. So I was a good 20,000 words in. So it was a little bit stressful, but I moved everything to the small fictional town of Lentford and I bought Kahu back. The publisher didn't end up um, taking the books on, but I honestly have to thank him for that guidance as the Murder Club... Wouldn't, would not would have been a totally different book if it wasn't for his advice. And when I actually shifted back to that small town setting, it felt very familiar. I was like, yeah, I, I know how to do this. I know how to write this.
1: Yeah, now nothing bad happened to you. That first book that you've been mentioning, it was a finalist in the Nio Marsh Awards for the best first novel. And now I see it's also being auctioned, which is very exciting. Mm. Tell us about the auctioning, what's happening there, and for those
2: who aren't familiar with them, perhaps just explain a little about the Martin War. Mm, so it was actually while we were in lockdown in New Zealand. So I think it was late May, I got an email from a TV producer asking if the options were um, available to buy for nothing bad happens here, which is amazing news. Like Yeah, just the best news. Very, very exciting. So my agent's kind of taken care of all that and and... The rights have been sold to a New Zealand producer and it's really just a waiting game now. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge project to take on and just waiting on grants and scripts being written and things like that. So it's a bit of a hurry up and wait kind of situation. But yeah, with regard to Niall Marsh, for those that don't know her, she is a New Zealand crime writer, was a New Zealand crime writer and theatre director. She was actually known as one of the queens of crime, along with Agatha Agatha Christie and, and Dorothy Sayers. I think she wrote well over 30 novels, kind of from the early 30s into the 80s, and her books featured Inspector Roderick Allen So it's very apt that our our crime awards are named after her. And the awards are, are in their 10th season now, I believe. And I think the winners for this year will be announced in the next month or so. Craig Sisterson is a Kiwi currently living in London, and he's largely responsible for starting the awards. And I think it's a really great way uh, to draw attention to a genre that in New Zealand isn't really widely known about or, or given a lot of publicity, crime novels aren't really up for any literary kind of awards like that. So it's nice to nice to have our own awards.
1: Yeah, i um, just looking back to the auctioning for a moment. Mm. Has there been any official release, and can you actually tell us who this director is, or is
2: that no? Still under- I probably wraps? need to keep a bit quiet about that, Jenny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I'm yeah, maybe I'm hoping towards the end of the year there might might be a little bit new more news about that.
1: Yes, yeah. the journalist in me just had to ask <laughs> the question. <laughs> Look, as you've mentioned, the relationship between Miller and Kahu is magnetic. I mean Kahu's got his own tragic background Mm. that he's dealing with as well and you've certainly left with the feeling at the end of the murder club that there is more mileage in this relationship are we going to see them again
2: yeah I think there's definitely more mileage in them and and yes you will see them again I think I I have an idea for a third book and did a, a loose kind of plot and actually intended to start writing it but another idea kind of pushed its way in and I've started on something else. But it will be set in Lentford again, which is where the Murder Club set. So, yeah, one day soon, I hope.
1: Yeah. Look, there are a lot of options out there for starting out writers today. With with so much happening in the indie side of things, mm-hmm. you you can still very much search for a traditional publisher if you want to, but you can go indie as well. Yeah. How did you sort out those things for yourself and do you have a personal preference?
2: I think the dream was always to get a book deal and I know not, not all writers want that. I think for me... The, the kind of indie side of publishing, like you've you've written your book, which is a huge effort, and then you need to kind of swap hats and put on more of a business sales hat for the indie publishing side. And I've done it, and I think I've done it to a certain extent successfully, but it's not really what I'm built to do, if you get what I mean. And it would be a real delight <laughs> finishing a manuscript and passing it off to a publisher for them to do the rest of, you know, that whole editing proofreading distribution part I'd love to give that to someone else but it's been a very steep learning curve but there's always I have an agent now Vicky Marsden of High Spot Literary and she's always sending sending my stuff out so it's a, yeah it's a wait and see what happens but if it doesn't happen I'm, I'm happy to keep independently publishing yeah
1: yeah have you been much impacted by this pandemic that we're all
2: dealing with, that the world is dealing with? Yeah, I, th- I think I have. It was It's a very uncertain time and in New Zealand here for lockdown. Uh, what was it? Six weeks or so, I think. From a writing point of view, I did find it quite hard creatively. I didn't really have the focus I needed to write. Plus, me and my little family live in quite a small house. So I had a husband and two girls who are 10 and 12 at home so where I normally got quiet time to write while they were at school and work, I suddenly didn't have that. I don't have an office, I have a a desk in the corner of the lounge, so between my husband on Zoom meetings and homeschooling the girls, yeah, during that time any kind of writing went out the window a bit. Yeah, yeah.
1: I gather you're about to move house, so maybe that's going to be a thing of the past. I
2: am, and I get my own office, which is I'm just off the charts excited about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Look, moving to a more general focus, away from the specific books, could you tell us something about your life before you started writing fiction and how the things that you experienced there Mm -hmm. might have impacted on your book?
2: So my background is in libraries. So I worked in in libraries in the UK, Ireland and New Zealand, um, and now I work as a freelance proofreader. English was hands down always my favourite subject in school, and I swear I entered the world a bookworm. But as I said, from about the age of seven, I knew I wanted to be a writer. But as I reached my teens, I kind of wondered very sensibly, I might add, would it be a viable career? And I looked at journalism briefly until I realised I I would have had to talk and interact with people, which I was very, very shy back then. So that was enough to put me off. But I went to uni and studied um, English and Sociology, and I went on my OE, and as I said before, I, I, I kind of did up give up writing, bar keeping a, a travel journal, but there was always that dream of writing until I came back to it with, with my girls' fairy stories, but I believed I think to be a good writer, um, you need to be a great reader. And that's definitely something that's impacted my books. I mean, from the very beginning, when I was reading Anne of Green Gables books when I was kind of 10, 11 years old, Patricia Cornwall's Scarpetta books, whether it's historical fiction or crime fiction, I, I believe that's absolutely impacted um, me becoming uh, a writer. And I think even just growing up in, in small town New Zealand, that's had a, a huge impact on, on the books I'm writing.
1: Yeah the romance side of things is very strong in new zealand we've got some very very good romance writers mm. and and that's often the path that female writers take when they're getting started they they do a few romances and then they may go off into, into mystery or mm. historical were you ever drawn to the idea of writing romance
2: oh Jenny, to be honest i'd rather kill someone than write a, a love <laughs> scene <laughs> Honestly, even when in No One Can Hear You, my second book, there's a very thin romance through it with the main character, but it it never really goes anywhere. I mean, I I feel I can write relationships, but anything that that resembles romance, and I take my hats off to romance writers because I think think it's harder to develop that kind of relationship and write those kind of scenes compared to killing people. (laughs) (laughs) Not my thing, not my thing.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic, It leaves us with an idea about what sort of person you might be, but
2: <laughs> my husband's very lucky <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, tell us what was the best piece of advice that you were given as a new writer starting
2: out, and what was the worst? Oh, I think the best piece of advice is kind of around advice, and that's that there's so much advice out there about the craft of writing and what to do and what not to do. I remember reading um, somewhere a few years back, you don't have to take it all on board. You don't have to take all of that advice. Mm. I mean, there's. it's a really personal journey, I think, writing a book. It's up to you if you want to write 50 words a day or 2,000 words a day. It's up to you mm. if you want to plan your whole book out from start to finish or dive in head first. There's no right or wrong way to go about it. And I think once I realised that, I, I felt a lot better about the whole process because for some time, I kind of thought I might be doing something wrong. Like, you know, there were rules mm. around it, but there isn't.
1: Has your process changed as you've gone, you know, worked through the books? Are you are you watching it the same mm. way now?
2: It has. It-, it really has. Yeah, I, I remember with Nothing Bad Happens Here, there was a lot of starting, stopping and starting because I really didn't know what I was doing. But I, I did a huge amount of planning. And with the Murder Club and with the book I'm working on now, I do a bit of loose planning. It's more like writing out scenes of dialogue or, you know, main scenes that are going to move the book along. But apart from that, I, I do kind of just dive in these days. And if you would have told me I was I was going to do that kind of three years ago, um, I wouldn't have believed you. And I think that's a confidence mm. in your writing, though. And the worst bit, yeah? It's probably not so much about writing, but... Um, to do with indie publishing and again there's a lot of info floating around out there which which is great but I remember reading a blog post and I think a couple of times people telling indie writers that if they're publishing their own books to help keep costs down um, for example don't worry about a proofreader and I'm a proofreader and I just remember thinking oh no (laughs) (laughs) don't bother with it editor you know just get your friends to read it Um, or don't bother with professional book cover designer stuff like that and I just remember thinking When I made the decision to publish my books, I wanted them to look like any other book in the bookshop. And to me, that meant spending money on my product. Like it was from a a business standpoint, I guess. But it meant surrounding myself with people who could help me. And I think you're doing yourself and your book a bit of a disservice by not making it the best that it can be. And I just remember thinking, you only have one first debut novel and I I wanted it to be as as good as it could be.
1: So is there one thing you've done so far more than any other that you think of as the secret for your success?
2: I, th- I think it's probably saying yes to everything. I'm, like most writers, quite introverted, quite shy. And I used to go to, before I started Publishing my books, I used to go to writing events and be in the audience and be amazed at the way writers spoke and read from their work. And part of me used to hope that that would be me someday. And another part of me thought, thank God I don't have to do that. But when my first book came out and it got a little bit of an attention, um, you know, newspaper articles and uh, being a finalist in the NIOs, I was invited to, you know, writers' groups or festivals and things like that. And over the last three years, I've done quite a few events. And for the first couple of years, I absolutely dreaded it. But I said yes to everything. And I think by saying yes to everything, it started getting easier, which is great. But it definitely exposed me to more people who getting to know me and wanting to buy my books. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a positive thing.
1: That's great. That's great. Look, turning to Nikki as reader, because this is the joys of binge reading, and it's a bit predicated on the idea that people these days read in a similar way to they to the way they view Netflix. If they find mm. books they like, they like to just then read through that that author's work, and they can buy it online at midnight if they mm. choose to. So you you say that you've been a passionate reader. Tell us a bit about your reading life, and you're who you who are you reading today? So
2: I started off. I always talk about Anne of Green Gables and that's such a bingeable series. <laughs> you can, I, th- I think there's about 10 books in that series and I read that you know, over a couple of years when I was 10, 11, 12 and I loved those books. And then I got into Patricia Cornwall, a bit of a change, but Patricia Cornwall's Kay Scarpetta series in my teens and I read Stephen King and James Patterson and books like those. Stig Larson's Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, things like that. But I also, I was just looking at my bookshelf the other day and I've got a huge amount of Jodie Pico books And today I read, I would read anything by Jane Harper. So she's written The Dry and The Force of Nature, which have Aaron Fork as the the main protagonist. And she brought out The Lost Man last year. She's an Australian writer. And she's got one coming out in September. And she's the kind of writer who I would just buy her book. It doesn't matter. I don't care what it's about. (laughs) I think she's amazing.
1: It's fantastic.
2: Anyone else at the moment? I... I, I've read pretty much everything by Paul Cleve, who's a New Zealand crime writer, and I mentioned Vanda Simon at the start, and she's got Detective Sam Shepherd as her, her protagonist. So they're both Kiwi writers. And also Craig Sisterson, who I talked about, who started the Naya Marsh Awards, has just bought out a book called Southern Cross Crime, and it's really a reference guide to all the fantastic Australia and New Zealand crime writers. So if anyone's looking for any anyone to read, it's a Southern Cross Crime's a great book just to just to see um, who's available to read.
1: That's great, actually. Yes, I've noticed that. Vanda's been picked up by a British publisher, yes. I think, hasn't she? She
2: has. She's doing amazing, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm.
1: Look, what is next for Nikki the writer? have you got new projects under development? You've have mentioned this one that's not one of the mm. Miller Kahu
2: series. Mm. So well, we've got Nothing Bad Happens Here being optioned, but yeah, that's a bit of a waiting game at the moment. But I'm about halfway through the first draft of, of this first novel, and it is a little bit different from from my the other three I've done. I guess it, you'd probably describe it as a psychological thriller. It deals with family secrets, I guess. The question of protecting your family against outsiders, even if your ha- family have done something wrong. I kind of step away from the small town community setting that have made up my other three books and I, I even I go even smaller I guess and all the action takes place on a pine plantation overlooking the Pacific Ocean again on the on the Coromandel coast and it's kind of where three generations of one family are all living. So it's quite a closed cast of characters but I'm loving. I'm really enjoying writing it.
1: Mm, sounds great. It sounds like it could also be one of those books that's a bit like Anna Willett, the Australian thriller writer. Her books are set in Australia, but they're very, very generically vague. So yes. you, it could be anywhere. It could be a California coast or, a you know, it's, it's yes. not quite pinned down.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's kind of what I thought when I was writing them. So maybe a bit more scope for international readers. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Now, where can people find your books? Tell us where they can get your books and also... Where they would, can
2: connect with you online if they're so interested in doing. So, I think Amazon is the easiest place to go. All my books are available as ebook or print copies. So, The Murder Club is out on Monday the 31st, so you can pre order that at the moment. Um, I'm on Facebook as Nikki Crutchley Author, I'm on Twitter as Nikki C Author, and I'm on Instagram at Nikki C Writes. Um, and I have a Facebook uh, uh, website, uh dot com, and feel free to contact me. I love I love getting emails from people.
1: And um, do you get a lot of response from your readers online?
2: I do, and I do get emails as well, which is I think maybe the loveliest thing um, to get as a writer. Like you slave away for months and months all by yourself writing this book, and it, it's seriously just the best thing when someone takes the time to email or, or reach out and say how much they enjoyed the book.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So when is this next one due
2: to be published, the fourth one? The fourth one. Well, I'm only halfway through the first draft. (laughs) A little while yet. Um, My agent will be pitching it to um, publishers in the next little while. So we'll say next year, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Sure thing.
1: That sounds great, Nikki. So, and you, you're continuing with your editing work as well, mm, aren't you? We yes. you should give a bit of a plug for your
2: yeah. editing work. Yeah, so I'm a proofreader. So I'm kind of the person that comes at at the very, very end. So I work under Crucial Corrections as the name of my proofreading business, and as well as manuscripts, fiction and nonfiction. I proofread anything really, theses and websites and blogs and anything like that. We'll put
1: all the links for that on the podcast show notes yes. so that people can find you very easily. Right. Look, thanks so much for being part of this today, Nikki. It's been fantastic to talk. And we'll watch for the announcement on the optioning with interest. Right. Thanks for having me, Jenny. Okay, dear. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading.
1: The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's really and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone, as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe.com. A B E at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully, see you next week. Bye.